We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning. We're continuing on in our series in 1 Thessalonians that we've entitled Upside Down. This morning I've entitled the message Sabotage. Sabotage. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word sabotage. Here's what came to my mind. Uh, this past Friday I was uh, watching my daughter Leah and we were painting uh, some pictures. Just had some blank pieces of paper and some watercolor paints and small paintbrushes, and we were painting. And so as we were painting, I, I asked her what she wanted me to paint, and she wanted me to paint some snowmen. And so I was making these snowmen, and uh, I got done making this beautiful snowman, and I thought, man, that looks like pretty good. I was pretty, pretty proud of that. And, uh, and I showed Leah, and I'm like, Leah, what do you think of the snowman? And she was like, oh, and she took her brush and started painting all over it. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, my masterpiece is, is being destroyed. And, and so I made another uh, picture, and it had trees that I, I painted. And I'm, I'm not, like, an accomplished painter. It wasn't good. But I made these trees, and you can at least tell they were trees. And I was like, oh, here's, Daddy made these trees. And she was like, oh. And she took her paintbrush and just, like, started, like, going all over the trees. And I'm like, what are you, you're destroying my work here. What are you doing? And, and it was a sabotage. That's what we mean by sabotage. When, when you are doing something or you're putting something productive together and then someone comes along and just wants to destroy it or wants it to just be completely destroyed. Think back to when Leah was two or three years old and we had these blocks at home like they were like giant Legos. You ever see those? They're building blocks, they're big Legos. And our kids would be playing with those and they would be building this tower and we would build it up And without fail, as we got it to where we wanted it to be, our two or three-year-old Leah would come storming into the room like Godzilla, like in the city, right, and just destroy that tower of blocks. Like she'd come in and and just completely destroy it. And and you know what I'm talking about when that happens. And and the kids would be beside themselves. They're like, she destroyed our castle. I'm like, oh, we'll build it back up and do it again. And we would do it again. And guess what happened again? She'd come running into the room, a little little girl coming around, and she'd just destroy it and start throwing stuff. It was a sabotage. Of, of what our plans were and what we were deciding to do. I'm entitled the message this morning, Sabotage, because Paul's going to share with us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that that was the exact role that his enemy, our enemy, the devil, desired to have in the role that Paul wanted to have in the life of these believers in Thessalonica. He wanted to and desired to sabotage all of the work that was being accomplished, that was going on, and that they were desiring to accomplish in the lives of these believers in Thessalonica. And I want to look at that this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning with verse 17. Paul says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. 
I want to catch us up to speed on what's going on here. And we saw this in chapters 1 and chapter 2 to this point already. Paul the Apostle was a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul and others were faithfully proclaiming the gospel of Christ. And during Paul's second missionary journey, he went to Thessalonica. And while he was there, uh, he was preaching and teaching the gospel. And we read that there were believers that were there that would come to know Christ as Savior. And there was a church that would be established in Thessalonica. And Paul, uh, in Acts chapter 17, and those that were there were described as men that came to this place and had turned the world upside down with their preaching concerning Jesus. And so now Paul had not been with these believers in Thessalonica for some time, and he was desiring to be with them. He was longing to see them. He was wanting to be with them. And the letter that we're reading this morning... The letter of 1 Thessalonians is a letter that Paul wrote after the events that he's describing right here took place. You see, in chapter 2, verses 17 through chapter 3, verse 5, Paul is recounting his desire to be with and longing for these believers. The letter that we have before us today is Paul's letter that he wrote in response to the report that Timothy, who he described in this passage, brought back to him. So as Paul's writing his desire here, understand all that Paul's saying here was his desire for these believers that caused him to send Timothy, and then that would eventually bring Timothy back to Paul with a report, which is the reason that we read this letter today, okay? So follow with me, because this can be confusing if you're not following me. But Paul is writing here, describing the longing and desire when he was separated from these believers for them. And so I want to look at a number of different points in the passage. First of all, I want us to see that Paul did have this authentic desire to be with them. There was an authentic longing on Paul's part. Verse 17 says, Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored with more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. There is this authentic longing and desire on the part of Paul for these believers in Thessalonica. Now, it's interesting because Paul says in this passage that we were torn away from you for a short time. We were torn away from you. Well, if you jump back and you have a chance to read Acts chapter 17, in Acts chapter 17, where we read about this this longing and desire that Paul was talking about, Paul in Acts chapter 17 was in Thessalonica, and we are told that because of the persecution that was arising in Thessalonica, we are told that Paul and the others that were there with him, Paul and Silas specifically, would be sent away to Berea because of what was going on in Thessalonica. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But there was this longing and desire in the midst of being torn away from them that Paul had for these believers. He looked at them as children in the faith. He viewed himself as a a father or mother would to their children in desiring to be with them and longing to be with them. And Paul was desiring this. And he says, listen, we've been separated from you, but only in person, not in heart. There was this connection that Paul had with these believers. There was this longing and desire he had for these believers, just as a parent would long for their children. And Paul would use that same kind of phraseology earlier on in 1 Thessalonians, where he would describe himself as a mother who cares for her children, as a father cares for his Children. I immediately thought about the fact, and I think I've shared this longing with you before. Anytime that, that I'm out of the country on a mission trip or doing something overseas uh, and we're gone for two weeks, the longing and desire that I have for, to see my kids and my wife is just through the roof. It's on my mind, it's on my heart. And when we finally get back, 
And you land that final flight in the airport and you walk through the terminal and you're there and you get to the baggage claim area where people can greet you. And, and my wife and kids are there and the kids come running towards me to like dive and give me hugs. Like it's the greatest feeling in the world. But I got to tell you, like I long for that when I'm away. Some of you that maybe have had an absence of someone that you love or that you desire to be with for some time, whether it's parents when your kids go off to, to school or if it's a friend that takes a job in another location, they have to relocate or if it's you having to relocate or people who change schools or friends or classmates that change whatever and it's been some time that you haven't been with them, there's that longing and desire in our heart and our mind for those ones that we care for and love and, and we know what that feeling is like. That's what Paul's describing here. As a spiritual father to his children, as, as one who has invested and cared for these believers, he says that I was torn away from you, but not in heart. My heart is still there. My longing is to be with you. I want to be with you. He says in verse 19, what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You are our glory and joy. Paul tells them that they as believers, those that have known Christ, those that they've invested into, that they are his joy and his reason for rejoicing. There's such a authenticity to Paul's desire for these believers. Earlier on in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, We were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you've become very dear to us. Understand, Paul's connection and desire for these believers was more than just preaching of the gospel. That was his priority. But it went beyond even the instruction of the word of God and the preaching of the gospel. He says that we wanted to impart to you our very lives. And so you can understand this authentic desire that is present on Paul's part. Secondly, Paul's going to go into not only sharing this authentic desire, but he's going to share about this committed opposition. A committed opposition. If you look at verse 18, after saying he wanted to see them face to face, he says, we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. I wanted again and again to come to you. And there's this, there's this response here of, of really effort on Paul's part because in verse 17 he said, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you. I wanted to come to you again and again. I endeavored to come to you. I was longing to be there. And I, and I even tried. He's like, I, I've set out to do this again and again. But look at what he says in, in regards to the opposition he faced. He said, but Satan hindered us. I endeavored to be with you. I longed to be with you. I wanted to be again and again. But Satan hindered us. There is a committed opposition to the work of Jesus Christ. There's a committed opposition to all that we desire to see happen in the gospel. There's a committed opposition to any work that we're wanting to accomplish for Christ. We have a committed foe. We have a committed enemy. I mentioned back in Acts chapter 17, verses 5 through 10, if you get a chance to read that passage, it's where there's a description of persecution and a description of, of a desire on the part of those that did not know Christ to remove from Thessalonica, to remove from Thessalonica all the believers that were preaching the gospel of Jesus. They were preaching, they say, about another king other than Caesar. They were preaching about Jesus. 
But in verse 10 of Acts chapter 17, after this opposition had rised up, after this opposing of the gospel had rised up, this is what it says in verse 10 of chapter 17 of Acts. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. By night, immediately, they sent Paul and Silas away to Berea because of the persecution and all that was going on there at that point in time. This is what I believe Paul's referencing initially when he says, we were ripped away from you. We were torn away from you. We desired to be with you, but we were torn away from you. Now, what is he specifically referencing when he says, but Satan hindered us? Not sure. There's a lot of conjecture. There's a lot of people who believe it's referring to some specific things. Some believe it's referring back to Paul's thorn in the flesh, that Paul had this thorn in the flesh, he described it, as a messenger of Satan to buffet him, as to, as to just kind of destroy him. And some believe that was Paul's eyesight. Some believe it was a physical ailment. Some believe it was other believers that were constantly nagging on Paul and desiring to destroy Paul. Some believe it was persecution. Whatever it may be, there was something that Paul was attributing as a messenger of Satan that he asked God to deliver him from multiple times. But God's answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. But he says that Satan hindered us, and I don't know what exactly or how exactly Satan did that, but he was trying to stop and thwart Paul's longing and desire to be with these believers, and he was successful in so far much as Paul physically would not personally be able to go to these believers at this point in time. But what a formidable enemy there was for Paul, committed opposition. This is why the word of God tells us, Peter reminds us, to be sober, to be vigilant, be watchful, because our adversary, the devil, he, he wants to destroy us. He's longing to destroy us. That's a big part of this passage. Because again, to put things kind of in perspective here, uh, Paul, who knew these believers, he preached the gospel to them. They saw his way of living and manner of life, that he was imparting his very soul to them, his life to them, but he was torn away from them. And now he's, he's worried for and concerned for their faith in Christ. He longs to be with them. He longs to impart to them what he has in his growth in Christ. As much as he wants to be with them, Satan is working overtime to stop that from happening. And I immediately thought of back in the, the spring, late spring, we have a, a grill out on our deck that I went to go uh, grill for the first time for the season. And when I opened up the grill, there was all of this stuff in my grill that a bird had put in my, building a nest in my grill. And there was like uh, twigs and leaves and just everything you can imagine. And it was pretty impressive. I mean, I opened it up and this thing looked like it was like a, like a bird's penthouse, like as far as, and not just like a little like apartment. This thing was like well thought. It was like almost like it had rooms and it was so much stuff. And I opened it up and I thought, oh man, I felt kind of bad because I was like, man, that bird did so much work to bring all this stuff in there. And it's amazing. I don't know how it was able to carry all this stuff, nor could I figure out how it was able to fit everything through like the little hole in the back of the grill. But it got in there and got everything in there. And so I, I felt bad for a minute, um, you know, about trying to clean that thing out. And then I remembered I was going to be cooking steak and I'm like, I'm getting this stuff out of here. And so I got all the stuff out of the grill, removed it, cleaned it, everything. We grilled that night. Everything was fine. I shut the grill and left. Uh, the next day, Around dinner, we were going to be grilling again, and I went out, and wouldn't you know it, there were some more leaves and, and some twigs back in that grill. Now, not to the extent that was there previously, but there was starting to be a nest again. And I thought, man, poor bird, and I, I thought, I'm just destroying his home, and oh well. And I took it all out and cleaned it, grilled, fine. 
it was about a week later that we grilled again. And when I went back out there to grill and I opened that thing up, again, there was stuff everywhere. And, and my sympathy for the bird ended at that point. At that point, I was like, this bird's going to die because he just keeps putting stuff in my grill. I didn't kill any birds. Um, no one was harmed. But I took all the stuff out again and just kind of cleaned everything out again and grilled again. And eventually, this bird kind of quit, okay, quit bringing the stuff up. But every single time I would clean it out and get it done, he was back. I thought of that and that persistence that constant persistence and that work, that hard work that that bird had to kind of try to change what my grill would be used for. And I thought of that when I thought of our formidable enemy, our committed opposition in the devil. He is working hard to oppose all that we are doing in Jesus Christ. He doesn't quit. Shows up again and again and again, desiring to stop anything that we do in the gospel. And sadly, he's working a lot harder than we are. Sadly, he oftentimes is much more committed to his cause than we are committed to Christ. And I think that's evidenced when Paul uses the phrase, I wanted to come to you And he says, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Satan was doing his part to try to destroy all that God was wanting to do. You know, there's a number of different viewpoints regarding Satan and his presence and and opposition to believers, say, a lot of viewpoints. Some people simply believe he's not real. And I'm not here to give any glory to the devil. I don't want to try to prop up the devil this morning. But some, even believers, would say, I I just don't want to believe that Satan is real. Satan is real. The devil's real. He's very real. Some want to believe that Satan has no power, that he's not powerful. He is very powerful. He has much power. Some want to believe that Satan could never be present where I'm present. He, He could never even be in this room. But he can be. He could be very close and very near. Some want to believe that Satan cannot be an influencer, but yet he can be very influential. Some want to believe that he would be obviously identified. But God's word tells us that he comes as an angel of light. He's a great deceiver, a liar. And sometimes we don't even know what he's doing or how he's doing it. But understand this morning, although he is very real, he is created by God and he has no authority over God. Understand, although he is powerful, he is not all powerful. Understand, although he is crafty and knows many things, he's not, does not have all knowledge. He's not all knowing. Understand, he can be present, but at one place, at one time, because he's not omnipresent. And understand, although he is a formidable enemy, he is a defeated enemy. And he has no power or authority over us as believers in Christ. But there's a real danger when we as followers of Jesus Christ fail to recognize we have an enemy. And he is working hard to oppose all that we want to accomplish for Christ in the gospel. And that was the case for Paul. 
Paul says, we long for you. We desire to be with you. Time and again, we wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. He is desiring to sabotage, to sabotage all that could be accomplished for Christ. Number three, Paul would show a genuine concern. He had an authentic desire for these believers and wanted them to know about this committed opposition, but he also had a genuine concern for their faith. In chapter three, verses one through three, we see this being played out where Paul says, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, look what he says, to establish and exhort you in your faith. He sent Timothy, he was longing to be there, but for a specific reason, because he had a genuine concern. He wanted them to be established, and he wanted them to be exhorted in their faith. Verse 3, that by no one would be moved by these afflictions. He says, for you yourselves know that we were destined for this. Paul had this genuine concern for the believers in Christ that were in Thessalonica. He did not want them to be shaken by the afflictions that they were experiencing or the afflictions that they knew Paul was experiencing. He wanted them to be exhorted and established in their faith. He wanted them to be growing in their relationship with Christ. Now, back in Acts chapter 17, we've been revisiting Acts 17 a little bit this morning. After we read in verse 10 of chapter 17 that Paul and Silas by night would be sent away to Berea, secretly sent away because the opposition was there, we read of the description about the the believers in Berea, about those that were in Berea that were receiving the gospel. And this is what it says in Acts 17, 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Now, here's why I point this out, because he says that when they went to Berea, the believers in Berea, the Jews in Berea, when they believed, they received the word with all eagerness. They examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And and Paul had a concern for the church in Thessalonica, the believers in Thessalonica, as to whether or not that would be true of them as well. Now, we already know in chapters 1 and 2 of, of Thessalonians that Paul has already relayed to them, we've heard of your faith, right? We know that our labor is not in vain. We know that you are firmly established. We know that you've received the word of God you heard from us, and you are seeing it as it is in truth, the word of God. We know that the gospel is sounding forth from your life. So Paul is sending this letter saying, we know all of this, but understand, prior to Timothy going to the believers in Thessalonica, Paul had a concern for them as to whether those things would be true. And he says it right here. We couldn't take it any longer, and so we, we remained in Athens and we sent Timothy to you because we wanted Timothy to exhort you in your faith, to establish you in the faith, and to remind you and encourage you not to be moved by the afflictions that are going on in our lives and in your lives because of the gospel. That's the reason that Paul was desiring to be with them. It was an authentic, genuine concern for their well-being and their growth in Christ. He wanted to know with certainty that they were firmly established in their faith. He wanted to encourage them, exhort them, to encourage them to press on in their relationship with Christ. He wanted to be there with them. It was this authentic, genuine concern. Are they okay? Are they okay? Are they growing? Are they bold? Are they remaining and are they established? Are they okay? 
or are they faltering? I immediately thought as far as that genuine concern and care and, and even some of the anxiety and worry that Paul had. I, I was thinking back when uh, our kids went first to preschool, kindergarten. Ella, our oldest, when she first started preschool, it was only going to be for a couple hours, married at the preschool park. Great preschool, by the way, just a little plug there. Great, phenomenal job they do. But when we first sent Ella to Maranatha Preschool Park, it was just going to be a couple, couple hours. But it was the first time, first time, that for hours, we would, we would not be there with her. And I remember sending her to, to kindergarten, where she would go all day to kindergarten in the, in the pit in my stomach and, and the heartache that I, I felt feeling like, man, is she going to be okay? Is she going to... Is she going to be all right? Does she need us there with her? And, and what is it, you know, what's she thinking throughout the day? And what if she's crying because she misses us? And what if, you know, she doesn't have any friends that she likes there? And what if the teachers are like mean and angry? And what if Mrs. Peters in the preschool, like is just nasty to her and, and all of that? But you know what? All, all of those things were alleviated when she came out like that first day. And, and we could see firsthand like the smile on her face the joy that she had coming out. And honey, how was, how was your first day of preschool? How was your first day of kindergarten? It was great. And I met friends, blah, blah, blah. And it was like this, this report, this, this, all this anxiety and the fears and the, all that just kind of subsided because we were like, oh, she's, she's going to be okay. This is what I think Paul's feeling here. Being affectionately desirous to be with these believers, longing for them, not just because he wanted to physically see them, but because he had an authentic, genuine concern for their spiritual well-being and their establishment in Christ, that they were not being moved and shaken, but that they were firm in their stance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We understand that concern when it comes to our children or our friends or loved ones. That's what Paul had here. Authentic desire, committed opposition to what was being accomplished in a genuine concern then that followed that. Understand that if Paul knew Satan was opposing him and he was attributing to Satan that opposition that stopped him from coming to these believers, you can imagine how magnified the anxiety Paul felt for these believers was concern because he knew that if Satan was hindering him from going to be with them, there was a reason. There was a reason. And it leads to Next point I want to share with us in the passage is that is hard instruction. Hard instruction. So all this is happening and Paul's longing to be with them and Paul's wanting to be there and then Paul's going to relay some hard instruction to them. He says at the end of verse 3, you yourselves know that we were destined for this. Destined for what? That we were destined for affliction. We were destined for affliction. Verse 4, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Paul was not afraid to give them the hard instruction that they needed to receive. He wanted them to be aware. He wanted them to know that there was suffering that was coming because of their relationship with Christ. They would be opposed and suffering would come. Affliction would come. That's why it was so Amazing when Paul writes earlier on in this letter that you receive the word of God in the midst of much affliction, he says. Again, he didn't know that yet when he was writing this letter. Prior to writing this letter, he wasn't sure because Timothy hadn't brought a report back yet. And so he wants to give them this hard instruction. You know, it's important today that we understand 
a, really a proper theology of suffering as believers. That we understand that the word of God gives us some very clear guidance when it comes to suffering. Namely, that all those who live godly in Christ should expect to suffer. We should expect to be persecuted for our faith. I mentioned last week that Jesus reminded his followers when he said, if the world hated me, it will hate you. A servant is not greater than his master. And Paul's reminding them of this hard instruction that when you come to know Jesus, all of your cares, worries, anxieties are not all just completely removed from your life in this earth. Paul didn't preach a health and wealth gospel. He didn't preach a a prosperity gospel. He didn't preach that if you would just pray this prayer, then you'll never have any problems in this world. On the contrary, he, he shared with them the instruction that they would suffer, that affliction would come, and that it would take hard work, perseverance, long suffering, and following Christ. The words of Jesus when he said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me if you desire to come after me. Too often today, the message that is being proclaimed concerning Christ and our relationship with Christ is just an easy believism. Call out to Jesus, and your wildest dreams will come true. Not in this life. That's not what God's word teaches. You know, one of the joys I have as a pastor is to do premarital counseling for couples that are seeking to be married. And I always want to make a point when I do premarital counseling to couples that are coming in is that marriage is not easy. Marriage is great, but it's not easy. Marriage takes effort and commitment, hard work. It's going to require forgiveness at times, patience, long-suffering. Marriage is going to mean you're going to put your spouse's interests before your own. It means that you're going to have to have hard conversations at times, that communication is going to have to be clear, that sometimes there's going to be misunderstandings. Marriage takes work, hard work, commitment. That relationship is not always just going to be the honeymoon your whole life. The person you're marrying isn't always going to look put together. Even if every time you see them leading up to marriage, they always are put together. That's what they want you to see. But that's not what they're going to look like when they first wake up in the morning. My wife does. Honey, you always look that way. If you're listening. There's going to be times that the person we're marrying and we get into that marriage and we're like, man, like, never saw that side of you before. You don't put your dirty clothes in like the, the hamper. Right? I didn't know that. That's not a big problem, but there are other things that are big problems sometimes. We have to understand the same is true in our relationship with Christ. And here's the difference. He is never at fault. We are. But understand in that committed relationship with Jesus Christ, everything is not going to be easy because we live in a sinful, fallen world that is not our home. God never designed you and I as believers in Christ to have a longing for this earth. 
And so the very message of the prosperity gospel, the very message of if you come to Jesus and everything will be great, the very message of trust in Jesus and you'll never have any worries, concerns, anxieties, or fears in this world is completely the opposite of what Scripture teaches. Because the word of God tells us this is not our home. Our longing should not be for this life. It's for that which is to come. And these are hard truths. And they were truths that Paul very clearly relayed to the believers in Thessalonica. That it will not be easy. You will have affliction. You will suffer. But persevere even in the midst of that. Just as you currently are doing. Hard instruction. But necessary instruction. Necessary instruction for a believer who's authentically wanting to live a committed life for Christ. Number five, I've entitled like this last verse with a point here of backup plan, although it's not a backup plan to God because God has his perfect plan that always, always is accomplished in accordance with his will. There's no backup plan here with God, but Paul, I think, would view this as a backup plan. In verse five, he says, for this reason, Let me stop for a minute because I want to understand what he means for this reason. For this reason. What reason? Because I desire to be with you. Because I long to be with you. Because I'm concerned for you as believers in your well-being in Christ. Because I want to exhort and encourage and comfort you. Because I want to make sure that you're not shaken by the affliction that you're enduring and that we're enduring. And because I can't come to you and be with you because Satan is hindering that. For this reason, Paul says... When I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith. He tells us earlier he sent Timothy to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So understand again what he's saying here. He's telling these believers, all that I've told you to this point, the desire, the genuine concern, the longing, the love, the want to be with you, the hindering by Satan, for this reason I have sent Timothy to you to bring a report back to me because I want to make sure that the tempter is not tempting you and that our labor is in vain. Listen to what Paul's saying here. Paul, to this point, prior to the report back from Timothy, He wanted to know, was all that we did, the labor in the gospel that we did for these believers, was it in vain? What did it accomplish? Are they faithful? Are they remaining true to the gospel? Are they serving Christ? Are they growing in Christ? Or have they faltered? Has Satan reached them? Have they been tempted away? What is true of them? Now listen, I don't have to say this, you already know this, but I'll say it anyhow because maybe sometimes we can miss this. They didn't have, you know, iPhones. They didn't have uh, Facebook and, and they didn't have FaceTime and they didn't have instant, like, uh, abilities to message back and forth through technology. So Paul is isolated from these believers and he's got nothing. No knowledge of what's happening in their lives. And, and time and time again, he tries to get to them, but he can't. And so he says, well, I couldn't bear it any longer. I sent Timothy to you and Timothy came to you. Now he's writing this already now knowing That Timothy's back and the report that Timothy has brought back. But prior to Timothy going, he did not know and he wanted to know. And so Timothy went to them. Now, I don't want to spoil anything here for next week, but I'm going to read it anyhow. So I apologize to whoever's preaching here next week. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time. But he sent Timothy to them. And listen to what it says in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you. Okay, so this again puts everything into perspective about the writing of this letter. Paul is writing this letter now because Timothy has come back from that journey and brought a report to him. 
So everything we've already read to this point in chapters 1 and chapter 2 is Paul writing post-Timothy coming back. Okay? Just so we understand the process. Because he kind of jumped. In chapter 1 and 2, Paul was jumping around from what he knows to be true of them. And then he's recounting what he didn't know before he wrote to them. Right? Now he's continuing on with Timothy's brought back report. And so he says in verse 6, Now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. This is incredible, incredible just letter that we're getting a look at and we have the privilege to look at from like a 10,000 foot view. We can see beginning to end. We can see what happened in the book of Acts chapter 17, what Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians chapters 1 and 2 about their faith. We can see the struggle inwardly that Paul had longing to be with these believers and desirous to see them and worried about their faith and concern that they're growing in Christ. And now we can even see that Timothy brings a report back and says, hey, these guys are knocking it out of the park in their relationship with Christ. And he says, we're comforted over that. I mean, this puts into perspective Paul's opening in the letter when he says this, for this reason, we are constantly giving thanks to God for you, making mentioning of you in our prayers. Do you understand how it is and why it is Paul would have such relief comfort, joy, and rejoicing and thanksgiving to God for these believers. Because all of the concern he had, the longing he had, the desire he had for these believers, he got report back from Timothy that they were proclaiming Christ and that they were authentically growing in him. And that's why Paul could say, you know that our labor in the gospel was not in vain. I think this is an incredible example as well as how the body of Christ functions fully together. That we need every part of the body to function as God would want us to. Paul couldn't go, but Timothy could. Paul couldn't be with them, but Timothy could. And in turn, they would bring to Paul comfort and encouragement in the midst of the affliction Paul was enduring. It's the body of Christ working together, fully functioning for the glory of God. The attempted sabotage on the part of the enemy would be completely unsuccessful because Christ was building his church. And the enemy could not stop that, and he cannot stop that today because Christ will build his church. Authentic desire, a committed opposition, genuine concern, hard instruction. And I believe what Paul would look at as a backup plan. Timothy would go and bring report back. So with all that in mind, let me just ask a couple questions. Three questions I want us to, to ask ourselves this morning. Number one, what do you desire more than anything else today? It was very clear Paul was consumed with his desires in the gospel his concern, his longing, his desire day in and day out was to see the fruit that the gospel brings in the lives of these believers. 
He said, you are my joy. You are my reason for rejoicing at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, what is it that we desire more than anything else today? Is it the things of God? Is it the preaching, teaching, and discipleship in the word of God? Or is it something else? Number two, do we recognize the enemy's tactics? Do we know our enemy? And do we recognize the enemy's tactics, even today in our lives? How's the enemy opposing you today? What is he doing? Have you felt stopped? Or that you hit a wall in the things that God has very clearly given you a burden and passion to do for him? How's the enemy opposing you? What's his tactics today? Number three, are you fully committed to the Lord's calling in your life? Are you fully committed? Maybe a better way to ask this is, are you guilty of working harder? Are we guilty of working harder for Christ than our enemy is working to oppose him? Are we working harder than our enemy is for Christ than he is in opposing Christ? I want to give you just some challenges as we go from here real quickly. Number one, desire growth. Desire growth for self and for others. When was the last time we authentically said before the Lord, Lord, help me to grow in you? Is it a desire we have? A desire and longing for the word of God? A desire and longing to be transformed closer to the image of Christ? A desire for growth, not only for ourselves, but for others, for those that we care and long for and desire to see? Follow Christ and know Christ. Desire growth. Number two, call out the enemy. Be truthful to his schemes. Call it out. Call sin what sin is. Call temptation what temptation is. We're told to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Well, identify him first. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. We're told there's no temptation taken us, but what is common to man and God is faithful and will give a way of escape. Well, let's identify it first. Number three, be concerned for the growth of your co-laborers. Christianity, following Jesus Christ, is not an individual sport. We're in this together. We are co-laborers in the gospel. Be concerned for the growth of your co-laborers. Encourage one another. Strengthen one another. Build one another up. Number four, be willing to share the hard truths and stay faithful. Do not compromise. Do not compromise the teaching and preaching of the word of God, however hard it may seem to be at times. We need to be truthful and share the hard truths and stay faithful. God does not need us, nor does he desire us to try to make the gospel any more attractive than it already is on its own. We don't have to make the gospel more attractive. We don't have to give people reasons to believe in Jesus Christ. We need to help them to understand the reality of a relationship with Christ and what it means if they don't have it. God doesn't need us to try to make it more attractive. You don't have to bedazzle the gospel and hoping people will want it. The gospel is enough on its own. And so we need to be faithful and willing to share it. And number five, work together. 
I think this is a great example we read in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 3 of how Paul needed to work together with Timothy and others to see the work of God accomplished, and we need to do that too. I'm thankful that the body of Christ is not just a bunch of severed limbs, all trying to go about accomplishing something on their own, because it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. We need to work together in our relationship and cause for the gospel. The enemy wants to sabotage you this week. He wants to destroy you this week. But might we together be faithful in working even harder to see the gospel go forth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you have transformed us in Christ. And I thank you for the longing and desire that we see not only in Paul's response to the believers in Thessalonica, but in the lives of so many believers even present here today. Thank you for believers who desire to encourage one another and to build one another up. Thank you for those that are resolved in their commitment in the gospel to share it, Lord, even when affliction comes. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be workers for you. That the attempts of the enemy to stop what is going on, that that would be thwarted, that that would be destroyed, and that your church would go forth. I pray that we would be faithful. Help us to desire growth, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of other believers, and help us to be catalysts for that growth. Help us to be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be described, even as they describe these other believers, as men and women that have come and turned this world upside down as we serve our King for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.